But yeah, I feel like a lot of Zoomers in the pandemic, just like like teens, just like did hyper pop or like they would get on Discord and like figure out how to like make like hundred gex covers and then like yeah. That's why music is so good now. Yeah. Yeah, it took a big leap over the course of the pandemic. I liked that too. Um yeah, I couldn't even fathom. Like I thought a lot about that, like what I was like when I was like, you know, skating and stuff and I was fifteen and how bad I would fucking lose my mind if I couldn't go anywhere. Luckily, like I'm old now. I don't I don't gotta go anyplace. Yeah, anybody born from the year two thousand two onward had COVID fuck up their school time. And maybe not even like the learning part, but you know, like just rites of passage, like getting too drunk at semi formal, they completely missed out on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a bunch of really formative stuff. And like you can't you certainly can't blame anybody, but man, it fucking sucks. And I had a lot of friends in New York too. And everybody's I think there's like a few up. people we can blame. China. Yeah, oh yeah, well, understandable. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying these kids. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna cut these kids some slack. Um, yeah, I had a lot of friends in New York, and they all had like tiny apartments. And the worst was like before the vaccine, New York got hit with that big wave before everybody else. So it was just like horrifying watching it like wash over, and everybody's like, "Well, sitting in my apartment, just have just vacant stares into the Zoom cam." Like it was, <laughs> it was not a fun time in retrospect. Yeah, I really like. Uh, I really got acclimated to drinking over Zoom um, in a way that, like, it's sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that was weird with us is that we would do these Zoom calls with, like, all of our mutual friends, my wife and I. But, like, she would have, like, her laptop with, like, the tinny speaker, like, yelling into the fucking microphone in the room. And I'm like, Andrea, I'm going to go in my office where I have, like, nice recording gear, and I'm just going to, like be on like another window in the thing but that looks fucking bizarre because everybody else on a zoom call is like you know couples like hanging around and then i'm just like in like this full fucking setup while andrea's hunched over it was whole thing was weird like i don't know all of us went like a unique different flavor of insane which was kind of fun to see nice to watch how it manifested in everybody that's a nice way to diagnose uh, a relationship like whether or not you sleep on different beds but also like do you use different podcast setups when you're on zoom yeah. together yeah yeah that definitely kicked the tires on a lot of relationships in one way or another, but uh, no, I can't say I enjoyed it now that we're talking about it. it. It's weird, though, being far enough out of it that there's like certain twinges of nostalgia that you really didn't see coming. Like there was like never what? a moment. I, I don't know. There was just like I'm trying to think like, well, I'm, I'm hurt right now, like injured, so I can't go anyways. But like there's this big uh, Hyde Park Fest in the south side of Chicago this weekend and clips is playing and uh oh shit is i know and i'm like just have this perfect yin and yang energy of like wanting to go and fucking never wanting to go to a festival ever again and like <laughs> it was really nice to have that kind of dialectic just like resolved like no i can't go anywhere because nobody can go anywhere it's fine like so that was if you're somebody who likes to wheeze a lot of social stuff that was kind of nice but i don't know i kind of like the uh how to put it, I kind of climb up the walls left to my own devices. So it was nice to be like, no, you have to stay home. You can read a book. You can write some music. You can do something because you ain't going anyplace else. Yeah, I got like way too into video games um, in a way that like almost ruined my life. But I'm back. I got into uh, many little things here and there. Like I started off with Lego. 
and then I got into Warhammer 40,000. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Which, is, your little not, and which stuff? is not a very, yeah, it's not a cheap hobby, so that one. <laughs> I have a lot of, like, board game friends, and that's, I like kind of sitting in on more casual stuff, but they'll lean into real heavy stuff. And our buddy Brendan is, like, a full-on painting, like, miniatures guy, and I'm like, mm. no. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> Trey, did you make the landscapes? Uh, no, like I said, it's an expensive hobby. Gotcha. Yeah. Lego, Lego I bought like seven pairs of sneakers at once. For the Warhammer figures? <laughs> it should have been. Not like for myself and all. Because everything was on sale and I was just staying in the house and not doing anything. So I was like, oh, look at all this money I have now. Let's blow it. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. You mean invest it. Yeah, yeah, I invested in some sneakers, so I look cool. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah I lowballed somebody on eBay for a pair of Jordans. I didn't think I was ever going to get at the price. It was like forty bucks. And oh my uh, god, they showed up, and I was like, "Well, I mean, these are these aren't like prime J's. These are like the MA twos or whatever. I like them. There was rare color, again, really cheap. <clears throat> but I got them, and I'm like, cool. I can post a picture of my feet to Twitter, and that's the extent of what I can do with these fucking shoes because I'm just sitting." <laughs> on this did the tweet do numbers? Probably not. No, I think it was just you know a picture of my dog in the shoes. I think that's a five fave kind of courtesy fave and move on type of a post. Fair. Um, well, this is Nersey, the only podcast that has a name that is actively flirting with getting sued by our former employer. Um, I am Drew Millard. Uh, who else do we have? Hey, I'm Trey Smith. Since we're doing first and last now, I guess. Uh, I'm Slava P. Oh, I'm giving you the P. I'm Patrick Cosmos. And Patrick has the unique distinction of being our first guest. And personally, my first question, Patrick, is why did you agree to be on this podcast? <laughs> hey, you, you know what? You reached out. Um, I... Uh... I'm always happy to do stuff like this. As we were talking about before, I uh, intermittently do a podcast, Hostile Witness, with our buddy Charles, and that's been sort of on hiatus. And I've been like popping up on people's shows here and there, trying to kind of do it more, talk to more people, and just get out. So yeah, and listen to you guys' other episodes, and figured I was I'd slot in pretty well too. So that's that's great. Yeah, it's um, it's funny that you are a lawyer. Uh, because Slava has some experience with uh, the law as well. Um, and we are going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, I'm outclassed because I've never been in a courtroom. So this is going to be a, a learning experience for me as well. So it's going to be. What kind of lawyer were you? Or are I'm you? A, I'm a patent lawyer. So I just like read. Um, and I'm not practicing. I work for a company where I basically do like research and write reports and stuff. We have a contract with the government and we have private clients. So if somebody wants to go sue somebody else and like invalidate an old patent or whatever, my job is to uh, basically Google a bunch of stuff and understand a bunch of computer stuff to get there. So, Wait, so are you the guy like helping LeBron sue that taco place? If, okay, if we were doing a Taco Tuesday thing, what would happen would be LeBron would engage with the lawyer and the taco place would engage with the lawyer. If it was an intellectual property thing, the lawyers would outsource it to the firm who would outsource it to my company 
who would pass that case on to me. So I'm the chump at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to stuff like that. Hmm. So it's, it's like it's low pressure and on a day-to-day basis, nobody emails me. So, or calls me. So that's really that's what, how I kind of died. That's a dream job, honestly. Yeah. I sold myself short in a lot of regards, but uh, the one where everybody leaves me alone all the time, I got that one dialed in. So, <laughs> um, so it's like if someone is trying to infringe upon the Dorito tacos, locos patent. Yeah. You're on the case. Kind of. Like I said, there's real lawyers on the case. And then when they need a nerd to look up other Doritos, Tacos, Locos uh, inventions that are out there prior to a given date, that's when I come in. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, with the government contract, they give us someone's invention and it's my job to write a thing that says, no, here's why you can't have that. And then Mm. they appeal it and they get the invention anyways. Um, when I was 18 years old, I wrote a joke for a comedy website, and then I heard a similar joke uh, on The Daily Show. Do you think I have a case? You know, uh, going on what you just said right now, yes, I think you do. I think I, I can't imagine that there would be anything getting in the way of you and that money. I think they owe you. Yeah. All right. I'll cut you in. Cool. Wow, what was the joke? Uh, it was that if America wins the World Cup, the rest of the world has to call it soccer. I like that. I've never heard anyone say that before. (laughs) Well, you were watching The Daily Show in in 2000. Oh, wait, you're joking. (laughs) Um, Well, one thing that, Patrick, you wanted to talk about uh, is the LaFaire de Slimes, a.k.a. the, like, really weird young thug situation right now that i like sort of forgot was happening but i guess has been like becoming extremely weird in the background it's been weird i don't know the details of like where the fuck they found this lawyer but the thing that put it on the radar for me so apparently a bunch of weird stuff had been happening but the Mm -hmm. one that jumped out at me was in april i'm looking at a double xl article right now uh, his lawyer said, God, no cap. Details, yes. Yes. When he said it's cap, to be honest, to the judge. <laughs> and that's one of those moments. That's like, that's like the tweet about the lawyer with the big pants and the shoes where it's like, I'm going to jail dog. That's like, <laughs> one of those things where I, I could not fucking believe it reading it. So yeah, then I kind of dug back and, um, oh, there was another one because someone fucking, they brought in someone I think is a witness and he tried to like hand to hand a pill to young thug. So like that happened at some point, the judge, there was like a, a juror who just like went on vacation instead of showing up to jury duty. And then the judge made her write a, like a, like a book report, like an essay when she came back about jury duty being important. And then when I looked at this judge, I don't think that was the first time he did that. I think he's like this real, like just fucking hard on grade school teacher of a lawyer or of a, of a judge. So all of this is fucking insane. And then the most recent one we were talking about was uh, the lawyer who brought pills in. Oh, yeah, that did happen. Yeah, and the pills thing wasn't even that big of a deal. That just sounded like there was, like, prescription medication that, like, under normal circumstances should have been fine, or at least we don't know enough to think that it wouldn't be out of the ordinary. Except that, like, when they were going through the metal detector, one of them, like, freaked out and tried to pass the stuff around the metal detector. I'm like half remembering this and I'm 
looking at again double xl but uh their web page is a fucking war crime so that's not <laughs> working out great but like from my understanding he tries to like ferret these pills over to someone else so they don't get i don't know uh taken or at least inspected or whatever and in the process he like tossed his cell phone to somebody and it hit a deputy and they charged him they ch- <laughs> charged him a simple battery for hitting the fucking hitting the fucking guard with his cell phone so like oh my god this is fucking unbelievable. Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure at least most of you, if not all of you, have read everything that Jeff Weiss wrote about, like, O3 Greedo and, like, all these mm-hmm. L.A. rappers and, like, the ridiculous fucking DA out there. But this shit doesn't even seem like an overreach. It's like you can't even, even get mad at anybody. It's just this complete shit show. It's awful. And at some point, Gunna, like, plead out, plead out. And there was a lot of talk that Gunna might have snitched. And, like, apparently he just put out a track about that, like, three days ago. It's a mess. And I think it's going to be going on for a long time. It's a good song, though. I haven't heard it yet. This was uh, this was new to me. So I was excited to see that, though. Yeah, from, from my understanding, the song is more addressing people who have had something to say about him since he's come out. People like uh, Little Dirk and Academics, more so than, like, talking about the case itself. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the gun thing is interesting because as someone who took a plea deal myself, there is a, a document that you have to sign that pretty much states what you agree with uh, versus what's in the case, right? So said, they present... He, sorry to cut you off. He went on the stand and said a bunch of that stuff out loud, too. Because that was another thing. Someone leaked... Somebody in the fucking audience leaked cell phone footage of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, every little... Can you imagine if has- OJ Carl, like had iPhones back then? Oh, oh man. Yeah. But yeah, this was yeah, at some point the judge read out a bunch of lyrics. But sorry, let's get back to the gunna thing. Well, no, the gunna thing is just uh, it, his response has not so much been like, yeah, I snitched on Young Thug and I don't care. It's more so like you don't really you guys don't know what you're talking about and this is my side of things and I'm going to come back stronger than ever. The most interesting thing about it was that it was released on YSL 300. So uh, maybe the relationship is still intact just for business purposes, but it is still intact. Okay, that's interesting because it did sound like he had been like immediately cut out persona non grata the second that he bleed out. So yeah, and again, it might just be a, a business thing yeah. where uh, you know we still invested the money in you, so we're going to make sure we get uh, made whole. But we don't know, and maybe the second single will address that. And I don't understand how any of this shit works like sort of um from a business perspective like a bunch of rappers and producers with these like sort of vanity labels and imprints but they're not putting out records they're putting out like streams and youtube videos and like the the network of all this stuff and who's actually like overseeing this and any sort of business relationship these people have i don't fucking understand it at all i'm like an when it comes to music industry stuff i'm like an old guy where i'm like so you sell a cd at the store and that counts as a sale right and the shit's just <laughs> it's insane now so and like that's sort of also i don't know like a ton about this shit but like that's sort of also the crux of the government's case against thug is like oh yeah this thing you call a record label it's actually a gang and we have the lyrics to prove it yeah i'm not the most uh knowledgeable person when it comes to rico but my understanding is that it gets drafted in 1970 as basically a way like a dragnet to catch like 
the Italian mafia at the time. So mm-hmm. the notion was that if you can like pin these individual criminal conspiracies to one another, you can get this big federal case going. And uh, that's what it was like for. But then you see this weird overreach. Uh, this happened with Greedo too, where it's like, if you have a zealous enough DA, you find a way to take stuff said in the lyrics and these people's behavior as like a group and say it's a gang or find evidence of drug dealing or like, you know, people having guns are not supposed to, or like God knows what. And you effectively like, it's like how criminal, um, it's like how felony murder works where it's like, you were there with this other guy. So since we can plausibly argue that you played a part in this murder, we can try you for this felony murder because you were, you know, and accomplished all this. And that's what this stuff seems like. Like they can just pick and choose and pull at these threads and pull at them and pull at them. And if you can find an underlying like organization, whether it's a company or a record label or whatever, that's how this stuff hinges around. That's my understanding of it. It definitely, at least with these LA cases, sounded unbelievably sketchy. And in this instance, I don't know because his lawyer's a fucking lunatic. And I just <laughs> like, like everything is so sideways in this one that I don't know. Well, interestingly, Rico only exists in America. Like that's a very American invention. We don't have that here. So uh, that's, um, it's, you know, American exceptionalism at work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're too good for normal, like criminal conspiracy. We have that as well, but this is special, like a supercharged one. Um, yeah, so you were talking about like uh, Young Thug's lawyer being like, not good um and like how is he not good beyond like uh saying cap and the pills thing like is his like strategy like is he has he done things that is he the reason young thug's still in jail um the reason young thug is still in jail is because like the judge was adamant about him not getting house arrest they went back and forth well to answer your first question um i don't know that much about the inner workings of this trial to tell you if this judge is or this this lawyer is like nuts and bolts bad or if he just has a propensity for like insane stories like this coming out i'll say it doesn't bode well but i don't know for sure but the reason he's been in jail for so long is because it's a long trial it's complicated and like they adamantly refused every offer they made for him to be on house arrest which was crazy because they're like you can have 24 hour monitoring him. He has this house and this house and this house. You can pick the house. We will do whatever you say. Just let him not be like in jail. And they just, they said no to absolutely every one of them. So that's why he's been in jail for such a long, such a long time. It's been a long time. It's been, it was like the majority of 2022, I think. Yeah. I think we're coming up on the year anniversary. If we haven't passed it. I know that there's a longer gap than that, but in my head, it's like punk came out and then he was in jail. Hmm. From my understanding, too, is they might have frozen his funds when they arrested him. So that might be what has kept him from getting a lawyer from any place other than the Daily Loud uh, Instagram comments. <laughs> yeah, that's real. That's real likely, too. Isn't that like a big part of Rico is that they can uh, freeze your assets or whatever? That's criminal law in general. There's a million sketchy ways where they can just like asset forfeiture and stuff. That shit happens. And it gets a lot of people paid, too. So I'm sure that they seized as much as they possibly could. So, like, what kind of agreement do you go into with a lawyer then if it's like, hey, I don't have any money, but. Well, you can do it on contingency. And if you win, they're going to see they're going to see a bunch of money. Um, 
more likely he's got friends that have money or the label or somebody who's like not been touched by this. That'd be my guess. There's a third party bank rolling it. But again, this is all conjecture. I don't know. So you're saying you know factually who is funding Young Thugs? Yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm saying I can't tell anybody else, but yes, I know. <laughs> A nerdy okay, exclusive. Yeah. Is it Tyler Perry? It is. I'm not at liberty to divulge that information at this time. All right. <laughs> why, why was Tyler Perry your guest, Trey? He's like, he's like the richest guy in Atlanta, man. Yeah, that's he true. owns BT now, doesn't he? Something like that, and you know, if, if there's going to be someone who respects an Atlanta artist like Young Thug, I think it's going to be Tyler Perry, or yeah, respects yeah, has the means and has the means. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Perry has smoked weed with Prince Harry, so I don't put nothing past him. Wait, who who told you that? Prince Harry. Uh, Prince Harry's book. I didn't read it, but I read multiple reviews of it and apparently the book is just like bananas like it's like a lot of him being like here's all the times my brother who is now the king beat the shit out of me for like petulant reasons while we were adults and here's all the people i've ever done drugs with if you have First off, Charles and Harry are not brothers. That's definitely not true. Oh, Wait. yeah. Diana allegations of infidelity and stuff. Yeah. Well, King Charles, Harry, and that other... Or, oh, one, shit. Yeah. I, meant, I meant Prince William, I sorry. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, okay. <laughs> I just couldn't let that slide. That was I was like picturing them being brothers, and I was like, all right, it's too weird. Um, yeah, imagine if you spent your entire life living in like a gold mansion without a real job and all the money you ever wanted. And also everybody paid attention to you and treated you like you had a real job. That'd be like the perfect storm to just be awesome and write a book about it. I think that show just ended the one that came on every Sunday on HBO. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another thing about the book is at some point, uh, Harry became really nihilistic and went and like became a helicopter gunner in Afghanistan and apparently has 25 confirmed kills and because confirmed, of this confirmed or confirmed by his book confirmed i mean that's you know i'm sure they had a fact checker I'm um, right he's the prince not us I, I guess we don't have a reason to disbelieve him so i mean that's a good point it, he probably had like one confirmed like grazing but um <laughs> He, because of this claim, um, the book is apparently like banned in Afghanistan by the Taliban. Yeah, he called the people chess pieces, apparently. Okay, well, that's not nice. Yeah, that's that's the wildest thing to say about people you killed and you're just like a rich. You're going to kill them anyway in some way, but like to do it like, you know, really directly. Yeah, yeah, not great. Well. He's going to pay the price by having his book sales kneecapped in Afghanistan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, like, it seems to me that, like, maybe 
criminal defense lawyers. I don't know. I got into a big conversation about the staircase uh, at a wedding yesterday. And it got me thinking about that dude's criminal defense lawyer who seemed he was very, that like a like, show. Yeah, it was a show. Um, it was a documentary about a death that occurred in Durham, North Carolina, um, actually in the neighborhood that I used to live in, uh, where this woman was found dead, like at the bottom of a staircase and had clearly fallen down the staircase. And the only other person in the house was her husband. And he was like booked for murder. And he was like, no, I didn't do it. And as time goes on, one of the defenses becomes known as what is the becomes known as the owl theory, because there were like micro feathers in the injuries in this woman's head. And there are owls in that area of North Carolina that will fuck you the fuck up. Um, one of the reasons I own this hat is because I used to wear it when we walked the dogs at night there because owls will like attack your head. I and thought the owl theory was the defense going, who did it? Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Damn it. Yeah, <laughs> How much did that comedy website pay you to write for them? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get it all back in blood once I sue them with Patrick's help. So Yeah. Oh, Wait, you I were... Have... Oh, go ahead. I have... This, this story touches close to home because I had neighbors growing up. After we moved away, um, the husband, they were an older couple, no kids. Um, the husband had epilepsy. And the wife came home from work one day and her husband had a seizure cutting food and fucking cut himself with a knife and he bled out on the floor. Oh my God. She calls 911 and winds up, you know, understandably under investigation for murder for like weeks. And, uh, you know, she like, they didn't file charges or anything, but like, just imagine like, like the one, two punch of like the trauma of finding that and then immediately being a suspect in something like that. I couldn't even fucking fathom it. The thing that sucks about that too is like, even if you're like, you know, innocent beyond like any kind of reasonable doubt, like people can prove you were like miles away at the time. There's still going to be someone who's like, I know, I know that has something to do with it. Yeah. Well, luckily theorist and shit. this is another one of those things where it's nice that it happened before like TikTok, because there would be like, the most deranged 15 year olds in the entire world writing up like an entire, like entire fictional reality about this woman. And like, she would never be able to live it down ever again. So luckily this happened. Uh, 95, probably 96. It was a while ago. Although it wouldn't be those teens fault as we have established, they've been traumatized by yeah the pandemic. They have, co- they have COVID hysteria. They're allowed to believe in giants. They're allowed to, uh, <laughs> get mad at target or whatever like they can yeah there's it's like a jubilee it's a free pass for like i don't know maybe we kill it at the end of 2023 but they're allowed they can have that for now maybe this this summer will be like the purge for deranged zoomers it's also kind of like yahoo's fault because they shut down tumblr and like Tumblr was, like, just a controlled little area where all these, like, peoples with these freaky-ass uh, theories and shit, like, they just kind of stayed in there. Yeah. And then once the porn went off Tumblr, and I don't know 
you know, weird hill to die on. But yeah, once the board went off Tumblr, they all just like went to all these other parts of the internet where I don't think the rest of us were really ready for this chaos that they brought with them. I don't know what happened to me. I hit an age where I went from like loving gawking at the just fucking lunatics online to being like, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't want to see, I, this is, this is none of my business. I don't want to know about it. That's not real. I have like very recently developed a morbid fascination with the comment section of Liberty Ballers, which is like the 76ers SB Nation fan blog. And like they have worked themselves into such a frenzy that they are, they're not like, you know, there's an argument to be had of like, okay, what if the Sixers traded Joel Embiid? What could, what would that look like? What could they get, you know, Wemby, whatever. But these guys have convinced themselves that Joel Embiid is an actively bad player who like, shouldn't who should be like a backup or like not play at all like what's like they've like talked himself talked themselves out of the idea that Embiid could even have trade value well this is really gosh yeah the Liberty Ballers um comment section is really a, a tight Venn diagram of like SB Nation commenters Philadelphia sports fans, 76ers fans, where like <laughs> you are really, really drilling down into like just a rich vein of fucking total lunatic. As a uh, as a Bulls fan, Bulls like fandom, as it were, is like histrionic and goofy in like a Homer way, but I don't feel like it's psychotic the way that like I don't know, I got a good buddy who is a Timberwolves fan, and the the Doomer Timberwolves vibe sounds like atrocious compared to what it's like in Chicago. Yeah, I'm sure that, like, the Doomer Timberwolves fandom is, like, like K-pop stan-level positivity compared to, like, the Sixers. Yeah, well, I, <clears throat> I've had a long theory about this, and it's totally superstitious. But, like, until it's proven otherwise, the 76ers and the Clippers and the Nets, I don't care what they look like on paper. I don't care if their team had 13 LeBron Jameses. Until they win a championship, I am never for a second going to believe that they're like an objectively good team. And it's not even their fault. These are cursed franchises. They don't win. And like, again, until I see otherwise, I just can't believe it. Like legitimately can't believe it. And at least one of those teams every season builds a team like that. And I got to hear Zach Lowe talk about how great they are on paper every single season. And all I can do is laugh and go on whatever sports book I'm using and bet money against them. <laughs> Uh, people used to say the same thing about the Toronto Raptors, and look at us now, baby. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. You proved it, and um, I mean things are I, now not good. Are, now we just now have you, to be here. Well, I feel a um, I feel a certain rapport with the with like the Raptors because they're they tend to be on the same wavelength as the Bulls. We're in that kind of nasty, mediocre middle. Um, but the difference is the Raptors have tried things. Whereas the Bulls. Yeah, we, we'll just pass DeMar DeRozan back and forth until someone does something with him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's going to be good. Um, it feels I'm going to call upon Trey to announce the NBA team that he is a fan of. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm a Wizards fan. I've been, having been raised in the DC area and, um, 
Yeah, we just kind of know what we're getting into every season. Like, the fandom isn't – like, you get some people who just complain a lot about, like, the situation, but we're all pretty, like, realistic about what's going on here, and it's just – there's not a whole lot of investment to care. Except Wait, we are apparently, like, hiring this dude who's, like, going to come in and, like, completely revamp the front office, and then if he feels we got to rebuild, then we put the funds towards that. But, yeah, it's just, you know, D.C. – is a place where you either move from after growing up or like you move to after college. Cause you want to do three years in the Senator's office. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Do you think Trey that when Bradley Beal retires, that they're going to wait for like white smoke to come up from some office in DC where they like, where they like basically elect a new Bradley Beal to be on the team for like 15 more years. Just out of like an oil drum in Chinatown, right off, <laughs> right off front of the Verizon Center. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, I think they'll just do it with like the bowl they pick everything out of in the draft lottery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's much more like an envelope that enters. Like, yeah, it doesn't even matter what uh, position we're supposed to be in. As soon as that envelope comes out, it's like, okay, well, we have your new Bradley Beal. Yeah, yeah, I gotta gotta hold those guys close, especially after the John Wall thing didn't really work the way that it was. I guess. We always have pieces. We always have pieces right there. Like, you look at everybody who came and spent, like, a season toward the Wizards and then left. All having the time of their lives, man. Yeah, that's why you guys are a very important team, because you guys facilitate uh, the trades. Yep. That's pretty right. much it. Like, yeah. uh, the guy on the Lakers, Rui Hachimura, he was just, like, on the bench in Washington, wasn't he? Yeah. You want to and... go back further, like, Antoine Jameson went and left and won a title, goddamn. Yeah, who else? Karan Butler went to Miami. Yeah, Karan Butler went to Miami. Gilbert Arenas went to uh, that uh, sports betting show. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, you guys weren't sure. Man, I was reading so many old uh, Gilbert quotes the other day. Well, it's it's uh, apt now because of the John Moran thing. And people always talk about what the worst punishment was. And it was uh, what Gilbert ended up getting. But he clarified that it wasn't for the guns. It was for contra- uh, conduct detrimental to the NBA. Which, like, splitting hairs. Well, didn't yeah. he get really uh, in trouble for... Oh, that was he... He... One of the things he got in big trouble for was uh, pooping in Andre Blatch's shoe. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Putting poop. If he says he didn't poop in it. He just put the poop there. I mean, that feels from worse. A standpoint that makes way more sense. And he got—he's been asked about it, and he's like, "Yo, everybody always asks me why I put the poop in the shoe. Nobody asks what Andre did to deserve poop in the shoe." <laughs> Those are the same question phrased differently. Gilbert Arenas really, really liked to like sort of parse stuff when he got questions to like find a wording that sort of like exculpated him. But it's like, no, what you did was fucking insane, dude. Like. <laughs> There's not, there's not like a semantic explanation around this. Like that's not how this is gonna work. He's like, yeah, I pulled guns, but they were cheating at cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. yeah. Fair, uh, fair. Let the record show that everyone on this podcast just like shrugged. Shrug as, emoji. Yeah. <laughs> so before I forget, while we were talking about the. Uh, the Wizards, something just occurred to me because the other team that's sort of like this, like a just a weird middleman trade facilitator, like consistently low seed team is the Orlando Magic. And mm-hmm. now I'm wondering if just like cities that have like really connected airports 
are just like perfect hubs for this type of stuff because Chicago's sort of in that mix from year to year too and you can get everywhere from O'Hare so there might just be like a regional hub sort of a situation where it's just significantly easier just like logistically to move people from town to town isn't that Charlotte's whole thing is the airport connects everybody uh Charlotte is the finance capital of the south um and also no they it's where like Bank of America is um and also Bojangles corporate headquarters um and also DeBaby's corporate headquarters which is the biggest office in a WeWork knockoff what's, what's, come back come back coming soon yeah yeah what's uh what's the baby stock out right now how many rising over there yeah. <laughs> good time to buy honestly he- I would buy DeBaby stock. Um, he just did a pretty good Funk Flex freestyle. Um, and yeah, I heard he's going to lower his overhead by outsourcing a lot of the work to AI. <laughs> so of all the dudes, of all the dudes I saw pictures of hanging outside of Kanye's fake house when he was doing that listening tour, I think DeBaby probably has the highest ceiling in terms of rehabilitating his image. I think Kanye and Marilyn Manson might be pretty much permanently in the mud, but DeBaby might be able to get his way out of there. Yeah, although like, I mean, I have I have nothing. I have the baby does not like me personally. Um, <laughs> I love this. Story. Are you saying that as a strike against him career wise? No, I'm saying that as in, uh, so about two or th- this. yeah, about two or three years ago. I profiled DeBaby um, for the outline where I was the features editor. And I was supposed to spend two days with with DeBaby. Instead, I spent one day with him because I was like shadowing him. Um, At one point, he like, uh, as he, he was like directing two different or no, he was directing a music video uh, for this other artist that he had named Rich Dunk, uh, who was an incredibly nice dude. Um, and yeah, so like I'm just going around to all these different parts of Charlotte with him. Uh, at one point, he offers me like a blunt and I say no thank you because I was like working. Um, and anyway, I'm interviewing him in his like co-working space office and at and like I was really impressing him with my knowledge of like rap arcana and like general facts like he was really impressed that I knew that North Carolina was like the ninth or seventh largest state in the nation were you wearing uh, a full Narduar outfit when you were doing this is that <laughs> <laughs> yes um he also was like, I also like answered a question. He was like, he couldn't remember what year Cranked Out Soldier Boy came out in. And I just immediately was like 2007. Um, and so we're like, we're having a good, good conversation. And about an hour, hour and a half in, he like makes some sort of, he like says he changed his name from Baby Jesus. Baby Jesus. Yeah. to the baby uh 
because he didn't want it to be like controversial. And I was like, well, I mean, like, you know, you have three, six mafia who their whole thing was like, we are Satanists and like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, nobody in this office fucks with Satan brother. And as a joke, I was like, what are you talking about? Satan rules. And like, in the context of the conversation where we had been like joking and like, you know, had been developing a rapport. Um, I thought it made sense, but it was sort of like there was like the crickets. And if I had been on stage at an open mic night, a shepherd's crock would have like pulled me out of the WeWork. And about three minutes later, his manager is like, Drew, uh, I think this interview is over. Um, and then he canceled the second day of me shadowing him and also the photo shoot that was supposed to happen. Um, and I was told through a couple intermediaries that while DaBaby respected my religious beliefs, uh, he did not want to be associated <laughs> with someone who practiced Satanism. And... I did the thing that felt like the correct thing to do, which was write an apology in the Apple Notes app, uh, <laughs> clarifying that I was not a Satanist and have the intermediary chain send it to him. But it did not work. And for that reason, I think to baby, if he ever met me, if he remembered me, would be like, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. <clears throat> Open invitation for the baby to come on this podcast, though. <laughs> you could have made a really good documentary out of that, like that, uh, like that Lil Wayne one, which like, oh opens, yeah, <laughs> which just opens with that exact same thing happening, basically, where the interviewer asks him like a pretty benign question or makes some comment, and Lil Wayne's just like, I don't like this guy, and then like the whole thing is like a write around because he can't ask any questions of him. Yeah, I mean, it was, I have, you know, like, I'm, I'm relatively good at this, like, interviewing rapper thing. And I have never had something like that happen where I just so misread, you know, my interaction with this person, <laughs> where they were just like, we're done. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes being on that, uh like on the end where you are like making jokes and have a rapport with someone and don't know where that line was, but then all of a sudden you cross it. You're like, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 wait. And it's like, he doesn't fucking know you. So like, you don't have like the, the wiggle room to like talk your way out of it a little bit. That sucks. It sucks bad when it's like a drunk friend who's just fucking furious with you. It's gotta be way worse when, you know, it's a rapper who doesn't know or understand you who you're profiling for your job. It's probably not fun. Yeah. I mean, no, it was like, honestly, I'm not super mad uh, about it because I got to go back to Durham like a day early and, um, you know, whatever I could have gotten material wise the next day was not going to be better than the Satanism moment. Yeah. Man. Uh, yeah, so there was the also... 
Oh, what are you gonna say? I can't believe DeBaby is also biased against the Triple Six Mafia. That like deeply upsets me a little bit. Or I think he just I think he just never was like, oh, three six mafia equals like that's a Satan thing. I think he just never thought about it. He thought because... they were just Italians, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, I have no idea. I mean, he obviously probably, I mean, he obviously has listened to a lot of three, six mafia. Um, maybe he thought, maybe he just listened to like tear the club up thugs and stuff. And like, didn't realize that they were the same band. And he's like, I don't fuck with those satanic guys, but this other group of <laughs> people, I like that. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, we have gone far afield, but I need to ask you, what's up with criminal defense lawyers? Like, are they just, are they kooky cranks? Yeah, they suck, bro. They take all your money. They don't even do anything. You tell them you want to plead guilty. It still takes 10 months to do that shit. It's bullshit. I think that there's like a pretty broad spectrum of the type of people who do that job. But I also think that most of them have like a brain peculiarity that manifests, whether you're like a well-meaning public defender or like a big money corporate defense attorney. I think that they like attention in a way that's unusual. I'll give you an example. Um, this story cracks me up. My, uh, my uncle, is or was a defense attorney. I think he's retired now. And <clears throat> he represented like, at his firm. He would just take these big fucking showy cases that were going to get him on TV and stuff. And like he'd worked there long enough to get the seniority to get to do this stuff. And there was like a relatively serious collapse at like a big sports stadium. And I don't think anybody died, but I do think like a good amount of people got hurt. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad called him up after the um whatever however amount of trial they'd gotten through was and he was like hey pat how'd everything go with uh with the stadium trial and he was just like well it was the largest settlement in whatever state history and he was like beaming like he was just so stoked to have been a part of something big like that that it just completely superseded like the job that he was doing and it was probably a fucking can't win case anyways or whatever but i think that that's like pretty illustrative of the mindset of these people that they're like in it to be like in the mix a lot of the time or with or with def like public defenders they that's also like a uniquely bad job where you have like minimal resources and don't get paid enough and you got difficult clients and etc cetera, etc cetera. um but yeah i feel like there's like an underlying notion of these people being the type of person who went to school to be like sort of a center of this stuff and I think it maybe cooks your brain a little bit. Hmm. That's interesting. In Canada, you have to start off uh, working for the crown. Like we don't have DAs. We have the crown. And uh, before you can go and work for yourself as a prosecutor, you have to do some time working for the crown. So there's almost like a farm league system. So you can't even become a public defender without having first worked for the government. That's hmm. really interesting. I can't tell if that would be. Well, I mean, there almost certainly be harmful here in America just because I feel like whatever your sort of cop culture and like top down, like authoritarian culture is there, like the American um, expression of that would probably just like brainwash a lot of people and 
into becoming law cops by virtue of having started out being law cops. But that does seem objectively, like if you were to push all that stuff aside, that doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world for someone to have experience doing. That's yeah, not, because there's a lot of people conscientiously don't want to do it. So that's unfortunate, but because there's less power for you to be able to take advantage of because it is Canada after all that, I guess it doesn't corrupt people as much. Um, but I guess it is on a case by case basis. Yeah. Well, it's, it's... Go ahead. Slava, what was your, I guess like, what was your lawyer like? And also what did you want out of your lawyer? Like, were you just like, I am just going to plead guilty. Oh yeah. So uh, my lawyer, Oh yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. We will now commence with the trial of Slava P. Dun dun. Just, dun, dun. just to give some background first, um, we've alluded to what Slava uh, ended up doing time for a lot, but I don't think we've given the full story yet. So now this is for everybody to have the full story and just, yeah, understand things a little more like we do. Yeah, so the official charge is conspiracy to import 40 kilograms of cocaine into Australia. So my charge is conspiracy. Um, I got arrested in 2019. This happened in 2015. So it took them a while to put the case together. And upon getting arrested, I figured out very quickly how the criminal justice system works. And I said, maybe the best decision for me is to just plead guilty. So my lawyer is what we would call in Canada a, a dump truck. Like he was not a very good lawyer. And he was someone that like uh, kept, he actually like went by his middle name halfway through. Like he, he got new business cards printed and his name was Daniel, whatever his last name was. And then he went by D Thomas, whatever his last name was. Like he kind of switched him up. And um, <laughs> because the Google results on the last one weren't the greatest. And he wanted to switch up the C, uh, the SEO on uh, on them. So yeah, wow. not great. Um, but uh, the whole point there was, yeah, let's plead out, let's uh, take it on the chin and see what happens. And the one thing that he had, because he was working in uh, for the Crown for such a long period of time, is he knew all the judges. So he was very helpful in judge selection. That was the one thing that he had going for him. Um, that type yeah. of procedural stuff is the type of thing that like that's another one that I didn't consider that if you've got that background in being a prosecutor that you would necessarily know a lot of people I know a lot of people on both sides and how that could be really helpful going forward so that's I didn't work out great in your case obviously but um I objectively that seems like a good thing to know I mean yeah it didn't work out but it also like I don't picture it having gone any faster by any virtue especially because it happened uh before covid uh had we waited even like two more months the whole thing would have been delayed probably uh to this point still like I know my co-accused is still waiting to be sentenced just because covid has backlogged everything so heavily that even though you've been like found guilty you still can't go through it and get it over with just because of all the uh the background yeah but um, yeah, pretty much the way that my thing happened uh, was I found these individuals in Toronto who were taking Canadians and sending them to Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, you would get luggage with cocaine in it, about uh, eight kilograms per person, so four kilograms per bag. And the luggage would have it uh, worked into the inside lining. So it was like untraceable, hard to see, or actually impossible to see, but you did just feel that the bag was a little bit heavier. 
Yeah, this is like how I pack my shoes if I get really stoned before I pack go on. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can picture exactly what you're talking about. So sorry, go on. Well, the funny thing is, like, they don't really check you for drugs when you're leaving America, right? They check you heavily when you're coming into America, yeah. but more or less, uh, you're 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 barely checked, especially if it's like a checked luggage. Uh, Las Vegas is the busiest airport in America, I think, if not the busiest, then like top two. So it never really sets off any red flags to be traveling through there. And the way the operation was described to me when I heard about it was more or less foolproof. Um, I was working for Vice at the time and my goal was always like, okay, I need to, I need like a big story because by this time, 2014, I'd burned some bridges in Toronto because I'd written critical things about the musicians that come from here. So I needed a big home run and I found these guys and they told me about what they were doing with Australia. And I immediately signed myself up to take a trip myself. Um, so I take the trip. Uh, I come back. No problem. My buddy does the same thing before I go, because I'm not going to be the first person to do it. Right. And by that time, by the time I had come back, that had been two groups of people who had made two successful trips. Also keep in mind, my buddy had just come back from Dubai before he went to Las Vegas in Australia and uh, he's a Middle Eastern guy. And upon landing in Australia, he opened up his luggage. And there was actually a note from the TSA that said, we had chosen your bag at random to inspect, which is why some of the items in here may be disheveled. Sorry for the inconvenience. And he still made it. So, wow. So, yeah, I, I hear that story. And I'm like, well, fuck, like this guy did it. Okay, now it's my turn to do it. And uh, the guy that went before me, you're supposed to go like a guy-girl combo so it doesn't look very suspicious. The girl that I was supposed to go with backed out at the last second. I had to go with another guy. So it looked a little bit more suspicious, so I'm a little nervous, but I still make it through. So by this time, we have two trips that were successful that um, didn't go 100% as planned, but still worked out. So anybody who's kind of watching this take place, um, people who I'm kind of like living with at the time or people in my general circle... Uh, they think that it's foolproof. They ask to go and I help facilitate their trip. And that's where everything kind of falls apart. Um, they go to Las Vegas and their actual, like the, the key mistake that they made that kind of brought everything down was that um, to save money on an Uber, instead of exchanging the luggage at the hotel in Las Vegas, they decided to exchange the luggage at the airport in Las Vegas, oh. which is like, yeah, you should never exchange luggage with anyone at an airport. Why? Oh, they think it's weird for someone to take someone else's bag at the airport now all of a sudden? Maybe they've got to chill. <laughs> yeah, so there's, I, there's something that happened where they got a little more strict. Like, I forget the details. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they the people that were organizing these trips, they had people on the inside. But there's only so much they can do when TSA flags you as a potential terrorist. So those people ended up getting busted in Australia. Uh, they ended up doing a couple years and they built a case around me and my co-accused. And we both got hit with the conspiracy to import 40 keys of cocaine into Australia. Um, I actually got my entire readout and it was a little embarrassing. And people were making fun of me in jail because the purity of it was so low that it wasn't even like good shit. It's like 78% and shit. And meanwhile, there's motherfuckers in jail like oh, under 90, bro. That's pathetic. So so it, it sounds like they could have like saved a little bit of 
sketchiness by like not stepping on the drugs and you could have only had to carry like three and a half in or something yeah that's sure but logistics is yeah yeah it is important to remember that australia is an island and as such it's very hard to get shit on there so whatever they get they're happy with right I mean, uh, the value that they've reported the drugs at, this is 40 kilos of cocaine. They reported it at $20 million. And that means it's half a million dollars a brick. Half a yeah. million sounds like a very, very like, okay, kind of tone it down if you're in the studio with Future or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although Future does rap about selling dr- sending drugs to Australia. And it's been a number of countries. Yeah. yeah. And Nicki Minaj talks about putting bricks to China in places um but i yeah pretty much that was kind of how that happened and how i ended up in jail and i ended up serving three years on my nine-year sentence and now i'm on parole but uh the conspiracy itself like conspiracy is one of the harder crimes to prove in canada we don't have rico like i said so the two hardest crimes to prove are murder and um conspiracy because you have to kind of prove what somebody's thinking And my downfall was that one of the people that uh, went on the trip before going on the trip, um, he uh, invited himself over uh, to me and my co-accused's place. And he kind of like asked us to just walk him through it one more time. And unbeknownst to us, he was actually recording it on his phone. So the, the police, the government, (laughs) You know what? That's a good question. I still haven't really been able to figure out why he would do that, but then also still take the trip. Yeah, I guess that's interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was like a hedge where he was like, where they were like, oh, well, if I get caught, I can give this to yeah. them. He was going to go gunner mode. Sure. And, but here, here, the funny thing about that is, you know, there, there was one individual who didn't say a single word. And this other individual who recorded the conversation and the recorder ended up doing three months less than the individual who kept it solid. So maybe that three months was worth it. I mean, that is, I would expect a bit more of a charitable whatever from the government. Yeah. I mean, you Uh, still did the crime, right? Yeah, it's that's just an insane like bet to take. Like, My oh, only I, the I, only I, thing everybody with me, and it's like, okay, dude, like I don't, yeah. You know. Yeah, the only thing I could possibly think of is he would use it for leverage when he came back. But like, mm-hmm. what good would that be? Yeah, to like hold it over my head. <clears throat> yeah, I guess he could extort you, but that doesn't seem like enough like material to extort somebody. And the three months is obviously chump change. That's like when you get an email with like a coupon code for a restaurant you like, and it's like 10%. And you're like, no, that's yeah. not enough. That's, that's frankly fucking insulting. That three months off is the 10% off Grubhub equivalent. And in the same way that you guys have like discovery or uh, whatever it is that like you get, we, it's called disclosure here, but pretty much whenever you get tried for something, you get all the evidence that they have against you. And I have the transcript of this guy going through with the Mounties because the Mounties flew to, to Australia to interview him. And uh, they have him go through his recording line by line. 
and I have it in the transcript where he's complaining that he like it took him two months in the Australian heat to get to the place where he needed to be to talk to the Mounties. So, um, you know, not like a great uh, set of circumstances for him, I guess. No. No, this guy. I mean, like, I'm beating around the bush, but fuck that guy. Like, that's my least favorite guy of all five of them. Yeah. Like, you know, like, fuck that guy. But, uh, yeah. When the Mounties yeah, like, like go abroad, do they have to wear the uniforms still? I don't think so. And that, like, that's really the funniest part about it is, like, they went three times. So it was clearly like, okay, you guys just, like, wanted to go to Australia on the taxpayer's dime. <laughs> Like they could have, I'm sure they have a drug sampling lab in Australia where they can tell you it's the shit cocaine, right? You don't need to fly all the way out there to find it out for yourself. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world because it's like, dude, it's winter time in Canada and then you bounce down there and it's the summer and it's like really nice. Hell yeah. Let's go do some lab tests. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Patrick, okay. Uh, you are the judge now. Do you think Slava is guilty? I'd let him off. I'm, <laughs> I'm more mad about this dude. I'm more mad about this dude snitching for three fucking months. I think that's <laughs> that's definitely where my ire lies as the uh, judge in this matter. Okay. Uh, I Trey, might make you write like a book report like that young thug judge, though. That might be, that seems fair. I will do it on my notes app, like Drew apologizing to the baby. <laughs> Yeah, if I get four really good screenshots from the Notes app that fit in one post, then that's fine. <laughs> Time served. Um, Trey, as the... You are both the uh, prosecutor and defense in this case. Uh, what, are, what, are your, what are your two cases? You can also make them simultaneously. All right, so... If I'm going for the... If I'm going not guilty, I'm just going to point out, like, okay. But, like, are we really going to, like, trust the word of a snitch? I think, yeah, you know. Okay. Not a, not a strong show of character right there, you know? Uh, th there was a recording, right? So. Yeah. But uh, but also in the recording, to like my it, credit. AI nowadays, man. Come on. Yeah, I was just about to say. It was a deep yeah. fake, Your Honor. That's true. That's true. Yeah. If, if that happened now, that would 100% be my defense. Um, but the, the one upside I had is like on the recording, I do point out the fact that I met these guys while, cause I was working on a vice story. So the judge did like acknowledge that. That works yeah, I would, in your favor. I would the journalism card too. Which one? The journalism card. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But also like, you could also just like at that point be like, look, I was in a difficult position. You're aware of vice. I needed the clout. This was easily, easily the quickest way to get that vice clout. Man, you know what the worst part about that word is too? Like when I'm, when you're in assessment and they're figuring out where to put you, you have to talk to a parole officer. And my parole officer is like, she was actually pretty cute. And she's talking to me and she's like going through the crime. And she's like, so like, would you say you did this for clout? And I'm like, I definitely would not use that word. And then I get oh, my paperwork no. two weeks later and it's like, he did it for clout. Oh, you go back and change no. it to cred. That would at least feel a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more benign than clout. Clout carries a, a deep negative connotation. That's not great. Yeah, like, yo, yeah. you're, you're trying to bias the jury against my client already. <laughs> <laughs> mistrial. Mistrial. Yeah, that's fair. I'll, um, 
sustained. That's fine. <laughs> um, I did not know about the fact that there is like a record somewhere on a computer that says you did your crime for clout. <laughs> yeah, it's like more embarrassing than actually going to jail was going to jail and having it be on the record that it was for clout. And I like, yeah, it could be worse. You could have done it for clout in like the Gavin McInnes era. That would be a black cloud that hung over you for the absolute rest of your life. Oh yeah, I did it for that proud boy. I did. <laughs> that would. Feel I did weird. it so Gavin would think I was cool. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are people in jail in America who are there because they thought that Gavin would think they were cool. Yeah. I don't know yeah, if that's true. Or I don't. <laughs> Um, and then, so I, I remember, uh, you, well, the other thing is like you, there was like a big story about it. And I remember like sending you a G chat being like, Slava, I, I do not condone criminal activity. However, I hope that you are safe and okay. And I think you responded just being like, I have to go away for a while now. And I wasn't sure what you meant. Yeah, at that time I meant Montreal. I meant I have to go to Montreal. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the story that came out was from like the Canadian version of Fox News, who was already like not a huge fan of Vice and what they were doing. And uh, a lot of their story hinged around what the people in Australia said. So um, the victims who were trying to get as little time as possible um, on their sentence said that uh, it wasn't their fault, funny enough. So that was kind of where the story pivoted. And then it also kind of made it seem like there was, this was like a rite of passage at Vice where like everybody was trafficking cocaine and like, oh, you want to make it in this company? Well, why don't you take this plane ticket to Australia and uh, come back in three weeks? That's not Which fair. isn't what was happening. Just so we, It's just so we're all clear. That's not the case. No, of course it wasn't because the rest of the people who didn't do the cocaine one got to go like bear witness to war crimes instead. So <laughs> those are the two things you could do at Vice at the time. Um, Drew, can you tell the story about the taxi chits? Oh, yeah. Well, first you have to explain what the word chit is to Americans. Oh, is that okay? So it's like a receipt, but it's a blank receipt that the taxi company just gives you and then you fill in the numbers. So it's like a build your own receipt. Okay, yes. Um, I just wanted to make fun of you for being Canadian. Um, this is this like an expense report thing? Is that what we're talking about? So there was a contract that Vice had with like, this was pre-Uber, with like, a, with like a black cab company. Okay. And they had this... Service? Yeah. Or no, like a, yeah, like a service, car, a car service. car service or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And they had this like blank they had this big book of waivers that you could take uh if you needed to go somewhere for like a story or whatever like just a free car trip mm-hmm. and so we we the uh editorial employees who were getting paid you know $28,000 a year in Brooklyn very quickly realized that we could just like take those fucking free ride coupons that you could just write any amount of distance and price in and 
we would just, I did not take the train or pay for a car uh, for quite some time <laughs> early in my Vice era. Um, yeah, that was like one of the few perks of working in North Brooklyn at Vice. The other big perk was that they were always shooting like, like an SVU style show or girls in that neighborhood. And I would just like me and a couple other coworkers would just go up to the cater lunch trays and like make ourselves a lunch and then walk away. Cause we were dressed as if we might've been an extra on girls or whatever the fuck. Yeah. The, the Venn diagram between like girls extra and vice employees, just like a circle. So yeah, that makes sense. But I thought the nefarious thing with the taxi thing was that that was how they finance cocaine for the parties. Oh, I mean, that would occasionally happen. Like people would, uh, people would expense cocaine through some sort of like elaborate process that I don't really, it like the way someone once explained to me how they would do it, but it was like more complicated than like NBA salary cap rules. And my like my brain just like glazed over as they were telling me. Episode four, uh, Nerzy, uh, we're gonna get subpoenaed. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, luckily we have a lawyer. We don't have a good lawyer, but we do technically have a lawyer. So I think he's probably your SOL. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't, I'm not on the Canadian bar, but. I can I can handle it here. So I've, I've been recording I've been recording this entire episode, and I have. <laughs> I actually wanted to ask each of you a question. How much uh, money would someone have to give you for you to spend a year in jail? American or Canadian dollars and American or Canadian jail. Also, American jail prison. Can we pick like? Yeah, you can go to your prison of choice and it's in American dollars. Well, okay. Good six-figure number. Like 100,000 or like a quarter million? You know, if, you, if someone offered me up a quarter million dollars to go sit in one of those like super low security jails for a year, I'm getting my meals taken care of. I can wear whatever the fuck I want for the most part. It's free exercise. I mean, yeah. exercise is free out well, here too, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but... <laughs> but yeah, man, I would... I'm, I don't know how serious I'm being right now, but I feel like a quarter million dollars. <laughs> all expenses paid trip, like, yeah. Patrick, how about you? I would need more than that. I think this is a seven. I think this is a seven figure. Even if we do minimal security, I got a, uh, I got a wife and stuff. Like years a long time. That sounds awful. Um, <laughs> fuck, dude. It'd have to be a couple mil. I feel like a couple mil, not even one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would. There'd be a lot of work I wouldn't have to do, especially since I wouldn't have to have a job during that year at jail. I mean, they make you get a job, but you like polished doorknobs. Yeah, you know, I could kind of use the change of pace. I used to work at a bakery doing production stuff. I think that doing something a little bit more manual might, 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 actually, might actually be a pretty nice change of pace for me. 
So yeah, okay, that's fine. You talked me down. I'll say a million dollars. Also, like I could be in there writing a book about how I went to jail for a quarter million dollars. <laughs> oh yeah. Get that shit published when I get out. You know that advance is going to be at least half a billion. You know. Yeah. What? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I got a little bulb. I bear think... in mind though that by association you burned your bridges in Afghanistan, so you will not be able to sell there. <laughs> true what about you i think also a million dollars like especially because yeah i mean like i would emily would be really mad like no <laughs> amount no matter what amount of money it was she would be like why the fuck did you agree to go to jail for a year that's your um, mistake, Drew. That's one where you got to be like, look, I did a bad crime. I have to go to jail. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to lie. You can't be like, hey, yo, guess what? I'm going to jail on purpose. Like, that's not going <laughs> to Okay. Just feel like you wrote some bad checks over the past six years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, yeah, I just, I think a million bucks, um, you know, because, you know, yeah lost income uh maybe i can like maybe i can buy like a bored ape uh and then come out and then see how much it's worth i feel like that would be kind of like that would be what would keep me going is like thinking about knowing how your ape is is thriving on the outside exactly yeah you got the do do it for her homer simpson thing up Like maybe they would, maybe it would get drafted into a band. Um, <laughs> I guess it depends on how much you guys value being like a citizen because you're not allowed to vote anymore after you get a criminal record in the States. Is that true? I, if you're a felon and I think that's, I think that's state by state. Um, that being said that, all right, man, <laughs> I'm going to vote anymore. That's probably fine. Like realistically, it's probably fine. You know, the only time I actually voted uh, was in jail because they like set up the whole voting booth system and I would always never be able to find the time when I was out here. But in jail, it's like, yeah, there's nothing else to do. I'll vote for Trudeau. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, The only thing that fires me up in Chicago is that we have like really robust, like Democratic primaries at the state level and like pretty, like pretty heated local elections. So yeah, that I would feel bad missing out on that one but like man voting for president if you told me like here's a million dollars but you can't vote for who gets to be president anymore (laughs) awesome you didn't need to me this much money (laughs) plus if you pick the right jail you could go and meet rod lagoyevich yeah absolutely Uh, he's out right he's out he's out he got he got a pardon donald trump okay he uh he didn't live too far from here i could walk my ass over to his house i'm pretty sure Episode five guest confirmed. Yeah, I'm going to sort that out. Um, Well, you like you had fun in jail or not like fun, but like I had a blast. You were in jail. (laughs) It was like eating homemade eclairs and shit, like reading The Economist. Like, that's what I'm thinking of. And like, yeah, you could pay me like, you know, quarter million dollars. Honestly, they, they always talk about how hard it is as a man to make friends in your 30s. And <laughs> the one place where it's exceedingly easy is jail and, uh, you know, friends for life. 
we all got matching tattoos. No, I mean, like in Canada, uh, I was in a minimum security prison that didn't even have a fence. So, I mean, it had a fence, but it was like a little white picket one. And uh, that was like where I started. I, I found out what an air fryer was in jail because they gave us one. I became vegan. Um, just like really did a lot of positive things and just met a lot of really cool, interesting, diverse people. Learned a lot about Toronto hip hop music. Um, yeah. And like in the same way that if you went to the jail that Rod Blagojevich was at, the people who had been there for his tenure would have really interesting stories about him. And then you would be able to come out and have the best gossip amongst all your friends about Rod Blagojevich. There is a lot to be said for the value of being able to, um, sort of hoover up other people's secondhand stories that are really funny. That's nice. Those are nice to have in your back pocket. So that's, that's a definitely major perk I hadn't considered. I mean, you also did, I think, come out with a lot of empathy for, you know, like people who I'm trying to figure out how to put it. Substance abuse, like people who are on substances, I guess would be the best way of putting it because my entire life, people who abuse drugs were like, people who stayed up till two o'clock at like really cool after parties. Right. Um, I, I'd, I'd never met someone whose life was ruined by cocaine. I had always met people whose life was enhanced by cocaine. Um, so that was like very stark. And it's, it is kind of disappointing because the guy who introduced me to the idea of banging cocaine, which is where you inject it into yourself. He like overdosed, um, before like in the time that i had met him but before i had gotten out because i got out and i reached out on facebook and his dad was like no tarzan died his name was tarzan sorry to laugh but i didn't when you said that the first time i was like okay I, you know there's a split second where you're like okay is he protecting the anonymity of somebody or is this man literally named tarzan so when you came back with his name was tarzan that really threw me yeah i feel like this is like the darkest thing I've laughed at in a while. <laughs> it's also fucked up too, because like, even though I do have a lot of uh, sympathy for people who are on substance abuse, I do think that there is like, there should be a path to treatment. And I don't know how your country is dealing with the whole safe supply thing. I don't think I've actually heard anything about America doing anything with safe supply. You can correct oh, me no, if I'm wrong. We're doing a very great job. It's an extremely enlightened country. And what we love is harm reduction. It's like one of our favorite things to do in America. So yeah, no, it's it's easy to get. It's definitely not an entirely putative approach to all this stuff. So yeah, we're, we're doing awesome in that regard. Yeah, well, it we're definitely. The, yeah, it definitely didn't torpedo uh, the mayoral campaign of like the one good person who was running for mayor in the Democratic primary in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. <clears throat> um, before we get back on Patrick, do you want us to like plug? your music uh to our dozens uh, of listeners yeah yeah i can uh well <clears throat> basically if you want me to give you a quick plug i uh put out a record in 2017 called tonal rotors you can find it pretty easily googling it i'm working on some new stuff now i don't know when it's going to come out i'm talking to a dude about a label in the uk i don't know if that's going to fall you know go through or if i'm just going to diy it or whatever but yeah i don't know mainly i guess follow me on twitter or whatever Where's that? What's your at? It's at very important, but you Google Patrick Cosmos, you'll find all this stuff pretty easy. There's only one other Patrick Cosmos, and he's a dude from somewhere in Africa who is sitting on that Twitter handle and uh, Facebook page, and I have yet to reach out, and I think all those accounts are long stagnant anyways. So, 
I really appreciate that you are the owner. Now I'm forget. Okay. I really appreciate that you are the owner of the domain veryimportant.lawyer. Yeah. So what happened was I bought veryimportantlawyer.com before I was out of uh, law school just because I thought that would be funny. And then um, they introduced all these new top level domains and .lawyer was one of them. And I was like, fuck, I got to have it. And it was like, it wasn't expensive, expensive, but it was like enough that it would be like stupid to buy it. So then I bought it and now it's just like re-ups on my credit card once a year. And I'm always like, fuck, but that's awesome though. So yeah, it's and now, with, now with Blue Sky, the, the way that the Blue Sky things work is if you have like a, a domain name, you can make your name like a URL on there. So now I get to be very important dot lawyer on Blue Sky and it just kind of plugs in. Which I guess is cool. I mean, until the site probably fails in six months, it's pretty cool to have. Yeah, I I'm currently sitting on at Tony Hawk on Blue Sky, <laughs> um, and like I don't know. I feel like that might be an asset of some value to. Yeah. He's spending a year in jail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if. Tony, if you're if you're listening, and I know you are, um, you know, hit me up. We can work. We can work out an arrangement. Very needs, reasonable rate. He needs a new outlet to tell the same story about how um, he's carrying a skateboard, and someone says, "Just like Tony Hawk," and he's like, "Ha ha, yeah, I am Tony yeah. Hawk." He's definitely <laughs> never going to run out of those. So, yeah, I interviewed him one time. He was really, really nice. Um, oh, I don't doubt it. <clears throat> yeah, like he even one he let me take a picture with him, and two he put up with me making a nine hundred joke. Um, so, you know, God bless him. Yeah, I'm sure that I mean, doing something athletic like that—that's like a subcultural thing that you pretty much single-handedly push into like a mainstream thing. Like, I started skateboarding when I was like five. So I watched all those old Bones Brigade videos and I, I was a big Steve Caballero fan, but you know, Tony Hawk is always really cool. So when he becomes like the spokesperson for a niche sport, he's going to get like the same dopey surface level questions over and over and over again. And he seems like uniquely well put together to like patiently respond to people like that. Yeah. Isn't there one, one of his contemporaries, I forget the guy's name because I don't know shit about skateboarding, but he's like the lead singer of Black Flag now. Henry Rollins. No, no, it's, it's, a, it's a new guy. Could it be Mike? There's Vallely? also like... Because Mike Vallely sang in a bunch of punk bands. So him being I think in the goofy-ass new version of Black Flag, that would make yeah, sense. I, that, yeah, that's who it is. Um, oh yeah, sure and, enough. That's also just like weird. I don't know. I feel like you shouldn't have, if you're like zombie black flag, you shouldn't have someone who is like pretty famous in their own right as your lead singer. It's like when fucking Axl Rose like did an entire tour as the lead singer for ACDC. It's just like combining too much shit. Yeah, no, that I completely forgot. I was like, they might not have come to Chicago or maybe it was just like egregiously expensive or just, I recognized it was stupid to do it. But I remember reading about that and being like, I kind of got to go see what it looks like to have Axl Rose singing for ACDC. That's fucking insane. I bet he would. I bet he killed it. Honestly. Oh, I don't um, doubt it. Speaking of combining things, Slava, <laughs> let's talk about how 
someone decided to combine packages of drugs with the symbol for the Nazi party. Right. So someone found a bunch of uh, cocaine bricks with uh, swastikas on them. And West Side Gun uh, seized on the opportunity to uh, kind of be inspired and treat these bricks like his muse, um, which is weird. Like, it's hasn't just he always hasn't he always like? Yeah, didn't doesn't he have that mixtapes come out like a year and a yeah. half ago already? There's like, like, he... from, like like Hitler and Hermes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah he changed it because like the the most recent one came out right after the Kanye West Alex Jones interview, so he just called it like H and H or something like that, something very vague. Um, it was so funny, Kanye like getting in trouble for shit. West Side Gun's just been doing like out in the open for several years. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's just a weird fascination, but it's also, um, you know, cocaine gets stamped with all sorts of things because this comes from like a third world country more often than not in South America and travels all the way to Australia sometimes. So you need things on it that everybody can kind of understand. And a lot of times it ends up becoming stuff like swastikas, but also like car symbology, like Mercedes Benz, Rolls Royce. These are really common ones, but it's just weird that they went with the swastikas for this one. Stop saying it like that. <laughs> saying what? Like what? Um, I mean, like, well, it's also weird, but just like thinking about how uh, there's just been like before west side gun was doing this like didn't gunplay just wasn't gunplay's whole thing like saying he was a nazi and i mean like it was always like not it was always just sort of a minor part of the gunplay <laughs> persona also just like in music and pop culture i mean like being a nazi cokehead was like what david bowie did in the late 70s that was like his thing so yeah, you've got a pretty storied history of cocaine just being explicitly stamped with Nazi symbology and like, yeah, rappers and stuff adopting it too. And like 70s punk bands and stuff. Like it's just, people love that shit, man. Um, all right, Slava, do you want to make the fucking debt ceiling joke or what? Yeah, all right, <laughs> all right. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll just use this as an excuse to end the podcast too. Unless there's something else we want to say or anything we want to plug or is everyone good? I don't think we're going to want to look at each other after this joke. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even land because John's not here to actually put the clip in. So we just have to leave the dead air. But um, anyway, thank you everybody for listening to me confess to my crimes. Uh, thank you, Patrick, for joining us. And uh, we know that the reason you guys really tuned in was to hear us talk about the death ceiling. So we leave you with this. Okay, no ceilings, motherfucker, good morning. Dick in your mouth, why you yawning? I'm gone and gutter, why they started me? Molly, why they started me? I'll bring you to your front door like you ordered me. Back